I'm Chaplain Jacob Scott of the Oregon National Guard. This is the Hope in the Trenches podcast. We're going forward. I'll sit down for conversations with people who offer interesting and informative perspectives on finding strength for life and work in the trenches and even improving our spiritual posture. Whether you feel like you're under heavy bombardment or ready to go over the top toward a new objective, it's good to be with you. Well, before we get started, I I bent one of my rules today. We never wanted the Hope in the Trenches podcast to be just chaplains talking to other chaplains about chaplain stuff. But I think you're going to come to appreciate why our guest today is Chaplain Shane Yates. Chaplain Yates is a major in the Oregon Army National Guard. He became a chaplain in 2007 after a career in law enforcement. He's got a degree in comparative religions and a Master of Divinity from Faith International University in Tacoma, formerly Faith Evangelical Lutheran Seminary. He's held a variety of assignments as a chaplain to include serving units in the cavalry, infantry, field artillery, engineers, and aviation. He served at the battalion level, the brigade level, and now he's the deputy state chaplain working with me here at Joint Force Headquarters. Shane's deployed to Baghdad, Iraq, and Kabul, Afghanistan. He spent a year mobilized up at Joint Base Lewis-McChord, supporting two brigades and serving as a chapel OIC. Shane is the CEO and co-founder of Task Force Heroes Ministries, a nonprofit ministry located in Bozeman, Montana, that serves first responders and veterans nationwide, providing spiritual resiliency and hope as they face the dangers and trauma of their frontline careers. Shane and his wife, Karen, have been married for 30 years. They have five children and several grandchildren. Their oldest received a Purple Heart and is a retired E6 from the Army. They have a daughter who's married to a Marine, and they're at Camp Lejeune. He's got another daughter who works in law enforcement here in Oregon. Another son played football at Montana State University and is now an assistant construction superintendent. And their youngest son's in the Air Force right now, headed to his first duty station at Hickam Air Force Base in Hawaii. Shane, thanks so much for joining us today on Hope in the Trenches. Oh, I appreciate it, sir. It's uh, it's an honor and privilege to be here, and uh, I look forward to our to our time on the podcast. Yeah, it's it's always great to chat with you, and I and I've I've appreciated knowing you and serving alongside you for for many years, and and working closely together with you now. Oh, it's been fantastic. Uh, you know, for, for those listeners out there, Chaplain Scott and I have had a a wonderful time to get to know each other and serve together and even serve overseas together. And uh, it's definitely a privilege for sure. So, Shane, there was a whole lot that we didn't cover in that brief bio. Um, we could probably talk for hours just about what you did before you became a chaplain. But maybe tell us a little bit how you grew up or where you grew up and how you became a man of faith or maybe share some details about that road that led to you becoming an army chaplain. Sure. So, uh, so I grew up, uh, predominantly spent my time growing up in Alaska, actually, uh, Kodiak, Alaska and, uh, grew up fishing, uh, commercial fishing on boats, fished for salmon, did some salmon saning, also fished for halibut, did quite a few halibut openings as well as some commercial herring, uh, fisheries as well. And uh, I loved it, uh, miss it from time to time. I was able to go back there uh, back in uh, 06 for my high school reunion and, and see some uh, see some old friends and uh, had a wonderful time. My family got to go, which was great because they were always always giving me a hard time about this Kodiak, Alaska. 
stuff and, and they actually got to got to see it firsthand so it was uh it was awesome uh as far as faith you know i i was born and raised catholic for most of my uh a good portion of my life anyway and had kind of a faith change and and uh and you know went over to the lutheran uh theology and uh been uh as far as theological worldview uh goes i've been associated with uh, the lutheran church now for many years so um, that's kind of my, uh, my journey. Uh, I will say that it hasn't been without its struggles, of course, and, and questions and, uh, tough times as well as celebrations, but, uh, it's been a very blessed, uh, a very blessed, uh, journey for sure. I'd probably look at you crossways if you said you never had any struggles or, or doubts or challenges. <laughs> yeah, right. It, uh, it has been, uh, yeah, it has been a, it has been a journey and, and you know, that's the, that's the awesome thing about our Lord is that, you know, none of us are perfect. Uh, we're all broken in some form or fashion and, and thank, uh, thank God he is the perfect, uh, healer and the divine physician. Uh, that's for sure. Well, I know coming from a, a very similar theological tradition too. Yeah. I understand where that hope comes from and, and how you can live hopefully in a world that is full of brokenness and, and, difficulties and, and suffering. And so we try to do our part to, to alleviate some of that. Because that's an interesting juxtaposition, your your first career in law enforcement, and then going to seminary and becoming a pastor, and, and then an army chaplain. How'd you, how did you feel that tug or experience that call into vocational ministry? You know, it was a, it, it's a, it was a funny... Uh... I use the term funny. Uh, that's probably not the best word for it, but I guess interesting would be, it was an interesting feeling, if you will. Um, and I really started feeling it early on. So I, I started in, in Los Angeles and, and worked, uh, of course, in the jail system and then worked South Central Los Angeles for, for quite a while there. And and I started just noticing, and I was a Christian, you know, I think at that point I could play a little bit of both sides of the fence, you know, needing to be, at times you need to be tough and upfront and, um, you know, very direct and, and other times obviously show your, your empathy and your compassion. But I, I guess I just started noticing, you know, that I was viewing people in a different light and that was more of, you know, it was almost like Christ was giving me his eyes to see, uh, to see his people. Um, almost looking at the population and the people that you'd come and uh, encounter, or come in contact with, regardless of their walk of life, regardless of the struggles, regardless of why you were there to contact them. But, you know, I started seeing him more through the lens of the Lord. And it wasn't like I was forcing that or pushing that. I just started feeling a lot more empathetic and compassion. I knew God was doing something with my heart and I just didn't know, I didn't know what. Uh, and so that journey continued on and, and uh, continued on through my career. And, and as I got a little uh, deeper into my career, probably around year 13, 14, I started really seeing it uh, and feeling it and started working more in the church and, and uh, being more involved in my church and doing a lot of youth, uh, youth activities and Bible studies and, and all those kind of things. And, uh, and that's really when I started feeling that calling, that kind of stirring in your heart, if you will, um, that really started to inspire me to, to seek God more on what, what is it that you have for me here, Lord? What are you doing? And, uh, and so I, I, I went back to school and, and started finishing my degrees and, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, it's kind of an interesting story. A buddy of mine handed me a book called A Table in My Presence written by 
uh, a Navy chaplain, the sign of the Marines, uh, went into Iraq early on in the war. I think it was the first push, if I remember correctly. And uh, he said, hey, Shane, I know you've been, you've been struggling with this calling. He was another, another Christian at work. And, and he said, this might be a great, uh, a great thing for you. Maybe God's calling you into this type of ministry that would maybe fit your background. And it was, of course, the Army chaplaincy. And, and I had also had a, a family business on the side that we were running and, and helped uh, supplement our income. But I read this book and I just thought, man, this is this really, Lord, what an amazing front row seat to see you work and to see you change lives and um of course i took it to my wife and i said what what are you you're gonna deploy you're gonna do all this no way you're gonna be gone and i had told her i said just pray about it you know take your time pray about it and, and uh and see what what god does and i remember a few weeks later i got home and and uh i went upstairs and and she was upstairs and she kind of gave me this look which i hadn't seen a look like this in, in a long time an emotional look and she said, look, if God wants you downrange and he's calling you to go, I do not want to stand in the way of God's calling. And those were her pretty much her exact words. And we had a, a great emotional moment there. And and uh, next thing you know, I was I was in the garden getting ready to deploy and and uh, had finished up my law enforcement career and was moving on and and uh, finished seminary and got a session. And next thing you know, I was I was I was deployed. So it was uh it was pretty, a pretty amazing uh, time frame and um, a pretty amazing time in life, really. Uh, I remember, you know, when I first got in, not knowing, and I, you know, of course, I was assigned to a cab squadron right away. And, you know, I didn't know anything. I was raw, brand new, you know, chaplain, brand new in the military, the whole, the whole deal. I had under, I could understand the paramilitary part of things, the discipline, the structure, the, you know, all those kind of things. I, I was pretty, pretty dialed in with the physical fitness part, not, not, not a problem, but I didn't understand some of the other things, you know, that come along with field craft and, and that. And uh, I remember being out in the field, that first drill. And I remember it was probably one in the morning and, and uh, some of the officers had told me, Hey, you know, um, we need to, we're the last ones to bed. Right. I mean, let everybody else goes to bed. And of course I didn't even know where bed was, but, and I went to the squadron commander, who's a, a, an awesome, awesome guy, uh, fantastic officer. And he's, he walks me to the edge of the tent, and he opens the door, and I look out, and all I see is glow sticks and in the darkness. And he says, just, I said, sir, you know, where am I going to sleep? And he, he opens the tent, and he says, hey, he said, just, just find a spot out there, chaplain. <laughs> I, so I said, okay, this is it, huh? And, you know, my TA-50 was all messed up. It was too small. And, didn't fit me and you know, being six, five, six, six, it was hard to squeeze into that sleeping bag stopped at about mid chest and it was about 17 degrees. And I walked over and I saw a guy digging a hole and, and I just remember this young enlisted guy said, Oh, Hey Chad, how you doing? He says, uh, just go ahead and just go ahead and throw some glow sticks out. So you don't get run over during the night by Humvee. I was like, Roger got it. And I remember laying there looking at the stars and thinking, okay, Lord, you called me to this. Uh, I know you're preparing me and, just, just be with me here. Cause this is, this is kind of a wild, uh, this is gonna be a wild trip. And, uh, and it has been ever since it's been super rewarding and, and just an awesome, awesome blessing. So. That's incredible. And will you, you really kind of condense a lot into that brief timeline. Were there any particular mentors in the, whether that was in law enforcement or in the ministry 
um, that that kind of came alongside you during that time? You know, our our former uh, there was there's two two for sure at that time, and uh, I'd say Chaplin Delridge and, and uh, Chaplin Thompson for sure. Um, both great men. The, uh, both great men. Uh, fantastic. Uh, you know, just awesome, awesome hearts. Truly, truly care for the the soldier at the lowest level of the organization, which is so important for us as chaplains to to not overlook or forget uh, all those youngsters that are out there embracing the suck factors and doing the job and uh, and making the machine work and run uh, properly. And both those guys have unique talents, unique gifts that God's given them, and they really came alongside me and um, really helped answer a lot of questions and just, you know, really supports that spiritual support, um, you know, praying together and just hearing the event at times and um, just encouraging uh, both just such awesome encouragers. And, and, and that's such a huge part of what we do as chaplains of that encouragement piece uh, is just, it's so vital to our, our military ministry. It's, um, it has to be a, a focus on, on what we do and they did it and they, they're, they're awesome. And I still talk to them today. I, just talked to Chapman Thompson not too long ago, and um, he's doing fantastic. Retired now, of course. He went on to be the the state chaplain in Montana, and mm-hmm. and of course, Chapman Delbridge also, uh, as you know, uh, recently retired. So it's it's hard to see him go, but they left a, a strong legacy for for all of us here in Oregon. That's uh, that's for sure. Oh, and a great example of how they well they you know they they prepared the organization and they prepared the the chaplains that were coming up behind them to 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 take over and assume that mantle and and everywhere even today everywhere i go i run into people that know one or both of those men both of those chaplains and and you can feel the goodwill that they created throughout the organization by by the way that they worked no oh, 100 100% i I mean, I've got, we could talk for hours on different stories with those guys, but I can remember my first deployment, uh, being in my chew and, and two in the morning, I'd hear this banging on my chew door. And usually when someone was banging on my door, uh, especially during the middle of the night, it was not, not good. Um, mm-hmm. whether it was a, you know, wounded or, or a soldier needed some kind of hair or some kind of crisis. And, and I'd open the door, it'd be Chaplain Thompson and he'd be looking for a place to sleep because he was getting, he'd been on a convoy and. He wanted to go visit soldiers, and, and he was an 05. I mean, he didn't necessarily have to do that, but it was a part of his regular routine, that boots-on-ground ministry, and, and that was an example that that uh, I definitely wanted to follow and, and emulate, and, and uh, you know, I'd open that door at 2 in the morning, hey, H, you got a, you got a spot for me? And, <laughs> you know, I had half the time be 2 in the morning, we'd end up sitting up talking and, and just, you know, fellowshipping, and uh, it was always a, always a joy, and... Um, but yeah, for sure, you, you, you hit it right on the money there. They definitely left a legacy for, uh, you can see it in the organization now. Well, and what a great picture. It, it, this is not true just for chaplains either, but e- each of us in our callings in the military and, and outside the military, none of us is in this alone. And so it's it's so important to have someone that can come alongside us and and walk through the challenges and the difficulties, share the the hardships and the joys. Oh, ab- absolutely, uh, absolutely, and and you know, and I think it's plaguing a lot of our veterans today is that feeling of that they're alone. Um, 
uh, I was excited to see that one of the themes today that we're, we're going to get into here is hope. And that is, you know, to have that hope, it's so important uh, to know that you're not on this journey by yourself. And, mm-hmm. and boy, we can certainly feel that way. Uh, whether it's after deployment or other struggles in life, we can certainly feel that we are alone. And um, having that key core group around you to support you and to pray with you and to be with you and to lock arms with you. Um, you know, obviously we all know that suicides are an issue in the military and, and, uh, that is, that is one of the things, one of the statements or slogans, if you will, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, that shoulder to shoulder that the, the army put out is, mm-hmm. is, is really captures it shoulder to shoulder with your battle buddies, with those you can trust, with those that are willing to listen to you, with those that are willing to lock arms with you, right, wrong, or indifferent, they're there with you. Um, and that, that, that kind of takes care of that alone feeling and, and helps give us that hope that we need. Certainly. And that's one of the key variables in suicide prevention. Now, we've been talking about resiliency a lot for 15 years or so or 15 years or so now. And there is no one size fits all when it comes to resiliency. There is no magic formula for suicide prevention. But some of the materials I was just reviewing yesterday highlighted exactly that, that one thing that that is sure is that connectedness helps in being connected to other people, being plugged into a purpose, something that's greater than yourself, and and just getting that assurance that that you're not alone. A hundred percent. You know, you said a key thing there, Chaplain, and that is staying connected and staying plugged in. You know, so many veterans, including myself, I mean, after uh, my last deployment to Afghanistan, um, you know, that reintegration piece is is uh, is very difficult. And you often feel uh, alone. You often, you know, uh, feel like, man, the scenery's changed. My family has changed. My life has changed. And um, you you feel alone. And mm-hmm. you want to kind of become a recluse. You want to kind of separate yourself a little bit, even from your family and from society. And uh, it's kind of going to this doing your own thing. It's so, so common. Um, but boy, you got to stay plugged in and you've got to stay connected to, to those that you trust, those that you love and, and break down that barrier and break down that wall and, and fight through that because, uh, you know, it can be so detrimental to, to you, but you said it staying plugged in is huge. Why do you think we try to separate ourselves? I mean, I've, I've seen this when I was on active duty. I noticed that as you'd move around from one installation to another, you could, it, it was easy to connect with people in uniform because it wasn't hard to find people for whom you had like one degree of separation from someone else or you've got common experiences. Maybe you went to the same military school at one point. Now we can compare deployments and realize, oh, yeah, I was in country the same time you were. Um, and so it, it at one, well, at least from one perspective, it can be very easy to quickly establish connection because we have all of those shared experiences and because we wear the uniform and it, and it says U.S. Army over our hearts and we're tied into a, a bigger mission. So, I, again, that it can be easy to very quickly establish connection with someone that you've never met before too. You see that move all the time, moving around in the guard, like we alluded to before, you bounce around from one unit in the Oregon guard to another. And, and you, you've got mutual acquaintances, mutual friends, 
you've been on similar deployments or exercises or annual trainings, all that stuff goes a long way to build connection. Yet at the same time, one of our defaults seems to be to withdraw when we're struggling or feeling maybe low or down. Uh, I would agree, sir. I think I think as it relates to deployments, I think one of the things that happens to individuals is you're going. It's so swift. You know, you 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 become used to your environment. You become you figure out pretty much how to survive, how to how to operate in that environment, and it almost becomes comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you get used to the you, you're used to some of the weather patterns. You're used to the op tempo. You're used to no days off. You're used to kind of the grind and you're being around your, you know, you're around all your, your fellow, uh, you know, soldiers that you're serving with. And there's a, there's a comfort level there. And then all of a sudden you are, you are plucked out of that environment and immediately placed back in another one that has been moving on. Um, when you left, it might've been 2014 and now it's 15, but you, you, you're kind of back in 14 still, but life has moved on with your family and with your friends back home. And so I think it's an emotional overload and you're trying to sort through it all. And, and for most people, the way to sort through is, okay, give me a moment. You know, we always hear, just, just give me a second. And then the second turns into Mm -hmm. a minute and then it turns into an hour. And then pretty soon it's months and you're still kind of in this fog trying to figure it out. So I think it's emotional overload and it, it just happens so, so, so fast. Um, and I also think that human nature is that we can figure out on our own. We want to control things. We want to control everything and we can fix it. Uh, especially for most military people are type A, they can fix it on their own. And so they go into this self-preservation mode where we, we think we can just fix it and fix it quickly and we've got it. Uh, we don't want to fail. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really not the answer. The, the answer is we need those around us. We need to be plugged in. We need to talk. We need to communicate. Uh, we we can't do it alone, and and the resources and those that love us are there are there for us, and so I think that's a that's a part of it as well. So it's it kind of sounds like too a a lot of the prep the prep work or preparation for resilience. Well, I mean it happens before you need it, right? And so you you build those relationships, you become. You invest yourself in communities and become part of become part of a community outside the military, so that when you're, I mean, you've you've got that. It's kind of baked into who we are in the military. But then when you step away, you've you got to have something to step into. Right, right. I mean, obviously, in an ideal scenario, I think we we feel that you know we're pretty resilient. We've been through a lot as as uh, you know military people. I mean, I had. I had worked in an area that had 66 to 68 homicides a year in about five square miles. And I thought, okay, I seen a lot of things and, and, and been through quite a bit of stuff and, you know, you know, investigated traffic homicide stuff and all these things. But I'll, I'll tell you when, when you're there, uh, particularly for my job, just from my own experience as a chaplain, now you got a different role. You've got a, you're there for your sheep, mm-hmm. the sheep that God has given you to, um, into your care, if you will. And so you got a whole different perspective and different, uh, a different attitude towards it and a, and a different love that God has given you for these folks. And I think that I thought I was even more resilient than I probably was. And so, um, 
you know, I, I think the only way to, to, to combat that return, maybe lack of resiliency or struggle with some of your resiliency is to plug into resiliency, to plug into those classes, to reach out for that help, to better understand each of the pillars of resiliency, to, to focus on hope and, and, and not be that uh, recluse, if you will, not, you know, hide yourself from, from everyone else and not try to fix it on your own. I think those are, I think those are huge, huge keys that we have to focus on for sure. And that's something that's never done, is it? It, it? Well, whether you're talking physical fitness or spiritual fitness, just resiliency in general, it's not something that you're ever done with. It's It requires kind of maintenance and upkeep. And, you know, like physical fitness, you can get in shape, but if you stop when you're in shape, you know, then very quickly those muscles atrophy, the strength that you had is is diminished by neglect. Spiritual fitness, probably the uh, yeah. same way. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic point. Is that just like your your physical fitness can diminish, so can your spiritual fitness. And you know, you need to stay in the word. You need to stay strong, and and you need to stay around those folks and those people that are going to encourage you and motivate you and support you, and not tear you down. And um, those those things are those things are key. But we do we get into that that rhythm sometimes where we, boy, we'll hustle, we get in shape and we're dialed in both spiritually and physically. And we we're, we feel like we've got an adequate level mm-hmm. in each one of these pillars. And then, and then something comes up or we allow something else to creep into our life. So we pick up some poor habits and then we go down and then we're back up and we're on this cycle. Finding that, that steady flow, uh, that running the good race flow uh, is key for for success in all the areas of, of our, of our five pillars. And, and you've got to be willing to adapt and make adjustments over time too. I was just talking this week with one of my soldiers with whom I deployed to Afghanistan, same time frame uh, that we were there in fourteen fifteen, And he observed that he was getting older and was asking questions about, it was one of those general questions out on social media. How do you stay, how do you stay in shape when you, as you get older and a few of us chimed in and said, "Well, you know, look, you've got to, you've got to kind of move the goalposts a little bit, um, and kind of change your. You got to, you got to change your goals. And you know, there's, there's no, probably no need to be able to bench 300 pounds anymore when you're 45 years old. But staying in shape and staying fit is important. And what you absolutely can't do is stop moving." You know, just just because something hurts, you can't just take two weeks or three weeks or a month off because something something's always going to hurt. And so you've just got to adapt and adjust and be willing to to change the plan of what you were going to do that day, just so that you can move and do something and and pay attention to those other those other areas that maybe you could get by with a poor diet when you're twenty, but when you're forty, you, you got to pay a little bit more attention to what you're eating and and what you're not eating and things like that too. No, I think it's, that's absolutely true. And I, I just spoke to, I won't use his name necessarily, but a good friend of mine, he's a, a missionary for family life. Uh, the organization uh, started by Dennis and Barbara Rainey out of Little Rock. And they work on strengthening marriages uh, with a biblical, biblical principles and a biblical foundation. And he was telling me a story about a bike ride that him and his wife, big time. They're just awesome, awesome couple. Uh, love the Lord. Fantastic uh, people. 
and they would do these long bike rides and he'd went on a 111 mile bike ride and, and, uh, his wife had suffered a heat stroke. And, and so the doctor had told him, Hey man, you gotta, you gotta slow down. And he, this, this guy's in fantastic shape. He looks 40, 60, but he, he looks about 35 or 40. And, and he said, you know, you kind of, you kind of ruined your, your pistons here and you got to start thinking about your body and, and where you're at physically. Um, and, and again, I think that matches up with what you're saying with the goalposts. We have to, it's almost like the smart principle, right? The specific measurable action oriented, realistic and time mm-hmm. oriented. And that is, you know, is it, the, does it fit the R? Is it realistic for us? Uh, these goals that we have and, and kind of, kind of changing the goal, goalposts a little bit and, maybe making it a little wider, uh, as you get a little older, you know? And there, there is a lot of overlap between all of those areas, but they kind of all take particular attention at different, at different times, whether you're talking about your, your spiritual fitness or your physical fitness or your marriage and your, the relationships that will help you kind of be strong and endure and, and tackle whatever, whatever comes up. Can you talk a little Absolutely. bit? Uh, talk a little bit about um, how you practice resiliency and what types of spiritual fitness routines do you have that that help you stay sharp? Not just as a pastor or a chaplain, because I think, well, just kind of a tangentially, it's easy for us to to make that mistake to to think about how in the in our normal day to day work we're doing stuff in this in the spirit that have spiritual import we're we're studying scriptures we're engaging in prayer meditation other practices but th- we're doing that in order to give that to others to share that with others it's easy for us to then actually neglect our own spiritual health in the process of of taking care of others so how do how does Shane Yates try to stay sharp spiritually physically mentally um, in your mar- your marriage and your other family relationships, things like that. Well, first of all, I think staying plugged in uh, is huge, uh, and that is uh, plugged into the Word uh, is hugely important. Um, being in that Word, reading different uh, you know different books. I know we're going to talk a little bit about that here uh, in a little bit, but um, staying plugged into that church family and that church group is huge. For me, I feel like my cup uh, runneth over, if you will. Uh, when I'm around and serving those people, God's called me to serve. It's like uh, it's like eating a steak. Uh, whether it's the soldiers, whether it's the first responders, the veterans up in Montana, uh, or from around the country that we bring in, that time with them and and sharing, you know, not only your experiences but sharing the word with them, sharing hope with them, hearing their stories and their struggles in an intimate and private uh, environment uh, that's just so beautiful up there. Uh, boy, I'll tell you that, that fills my spiritual fitness, uh, cup, if you will, uh, like crazy. Um, but, but definitely as far as tangible things, staying in the word, staying consistent in your, your reading of the word in your prayer life is another huge one, uh, for me, for my spiritual fitness. And, and that is consistently in prayer. You know, I think oftentimes people think, well, I have to have this big, you know, this big, uh, you know, plan to go and pray for an hour or pray for two hours or whatever, whatever it is. You know, you, you don't necessarily need it. You know, you start the day off with a 15-second, 30-second prayer. 
and, and, and you roll. And then throughout the day, you're praying. And then maybe you have your alone time with the Lord at night, or maybe it's early in the morning over a cup of coffee. Um, getting in that battle rhythm uh, will definitely, definitely fill your, your, your spiritual fitness cup uh, for sure. And then again, I think also being around those folks, and we talked about it earlier, that will continue to support you spiritually, mm-hmm. uh, that maybe you're equally yoked with, that um, you know you have a similar theological worldview, and you're you're uplifting and encouraging one another is so vital. Whether that's your family, whether it's close friends, could even be your kids uh, as well. Uh, those folks uh, are boy, they you got to keep them close. And I have conversations constantly with guys I've deployed with. Um, you know, law enforcement, uh, people that I've served with and, uh, you know, making those frequent calls and checking in with people and and having those spiritual discussions. Uh, what are you struggling with? What's going on? Having that trust as well to be able to share. Those are all keys and elements that, that really fill that spiritual fitness cup. You've touched on that a couple of times over the last several minutes, just how important it is to surround ourselves with people who are interested in our well-being. Now, now that's a two-way street, right? Because 100%. We need to we need to invest ourselves in the people around us and we should be focused on making life better for the people around us and and helping the people that are kind of part of our circles. But who's in that circle is super important. It sounds kind of cliché, but there's that saying that you you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And, you know, that is to say that, right, am I, am I surrounding myself with people who are going to make me better or bring me down? Are the, the choices of the people that are kind of in my circles, are, are they going to help us move the ball forward together? Am I going to be sharper? Um, am I going to be smarter, more physically fit? or have a better spiritual orientation because of the people that I'm around, or are they going to get me in trouble, or are they going to kind of encourage me to make bad choices? Right. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, it, for sure, a two-way street, and, uh, you know, but those people, choosing those people wisely, you know, I always, I like to, to say this sometimes when we're we're up in Montana and I'm, we're in a peer-to-peer group and, and we're talking through stuff, is that you know, you wouldn't want to hang around people, even if you loved them, you wouldn't want to hang around people that had the flu or they were, they were sick all the time. Cause you wouldn't want to get sick. Uh, but yet sometimes we put ourselves in positions where we're around people that, um, that might end up making us sick in different ways. Uh, maybe it's not physically sick. And so mm-hmm. I think, I think choosing those people and I think too, God brings those people into your life, uh, and plays a big role in choosing those people appro- appropriately those people that are healthy, those people that are encouraging, those people that truly care and, and that, that are also going to challenge you and hold you accountable as well. Uh, I think, you know, I think that defines it uh, pretty well spot on, you know? And you've touched on this a couple of times also. It can be really hard to build and nourish friendships when we're, we, we move a lot from one city to the next, from one state to the next, from one job to another, or in the guard, we may deploy with someone. We might not work with them again for two, three years, if ever. But 
you've you've touched on this also a couple times. You've talked about just sometimes it's just that quick text message or a phone call. Someone comes to mind. God places that person on your heart, and so you reach out just say, "Hey, man, I was thinking about you. How how are you?" Um, expressing gratitude for the for the people that are around you. That's one thing I think you're you're pretty gifted gifted at is staying connected to people because that, that that's hard in this world. Well, and um, you've moved around a lot too. And so that takes some intentional effort, doesn't it? To, to stay connected to those people. Oh, very much so. And I mean, obviously I think I could probably like many things in our lives, you know, work on and, and get better at. And uh, I think God's constantly molding and shaping us and growing us and, and, and nurturing us. And, um, but it is extremely important to, to stay in touch with those, with those folks. And, and you're right. It could be just a, a quick text. Hey, I've been thinking about you. Hope you're doing well. Um, you know, our schedules get busy and, and we, we are running kind of all over the place at times, but, um, taking that moment to, to, to stay in touch with folks is, is really, really, really key. Yeah. And it's, it's been, I think that problem has only been exacerbated maybe over the last couple of years. We've used this adjective unprecedented a lot to describe the the pandemic and how our communities and even the world have responded to COVID. And now, certainly, there's a lot of stress that that creates when you can't do the things that you're used to doing when your routines are uh, interrupted or, or disrupted. Um, so we probably have to to think about that and, and again, just be a little bit more deliberate about nurturing those relationships. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, the COVID COVID hit and, and caused obviously some, some worldwide problems, let alone in our own, our own communities. Um, you know, uh, but it's, it, again, it's important. You got to stay in touch. You got to, you got to stay in touch with these folks and, and, and make it a, a point to reach out and, and see how they're doing and, uh, again, whether it's text or phone call or uh, gathering in a safe environment, if you have to, uh, then that's what you that's what you need to do. And I think for us as chaplains and pastors, you know, you never know who God's going to throw into this flock that He's that He's giving you to care for. And I think uh, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we look at all people as a part of our flock, and and um, you know, loving on all people and, and connecting with people, and it's just so so key to what we do. Um, you know, I know in a little bit, we're going to talk about this, this current book I'm reading and boy, he talks about, uh, the role of a shepherd and the way, uh, William Barclay describes it is, is just so, so key. Uh, and I know we'll, we'll get into that here in a minute, but. Well, yeah, um, since you brought it up, um, yeah, cause I like to use that phrase too, that, that leaders are readers. And so I'm always curious as to what people are reading you know, whether that's in the, in their field, in their profession, or trying to read more broadly. Uh, tell, tell us about that Barclay book that you've been reading. Yeah, so I, I uh, you know, I try to stay pretty read up. I mean, I, like like most people, we get busy and we get we get tied up. And, uh, after finishing ILE, I kind of needed to take a break from, <laughs> from, from, uh, from reading. But uh, I started this book, and I'd actually read this book, uh, boy, it's during seminary. So it's been it's been quite a while ago, probably 16, 17 years, but it, it's one of my favorites. And Barclay is definitely, William Barclay is a Scottish uh, theologian. Um, I think he's one of the best, although I don't agree, obviously, with all of his uh, theological worldviews. He's solid, and his his research is solid. 
uh, scripturally based in, in the way he describes things. So this book is called Jesus as they saw him. Uh, and he's written, he has a lot of writings. If you, if you Google him and one of my favorite things in this book is when he starts talking and describing a, uh, the shepherd. And, you know, when I, when I went into this thing for, to be a chaplain, uh, this ministry as a chaplain, he describes, he describes his book like this. And I think it's just aligned so well with what we do. He says the shepherd lived in the wide open spaces beneath the silent stars at night, close to the elements in the midst of life and death and birth and peril. And therefore, inevitably, the shepherd lived close to God. The awareness of God was never far away. Uh, and he goes on to talk about, you know, in, in Palestine, how the shepherds would operate. And they would go before their sheep and um, making sure, leading them through narrow and dark defiles, which were excellent lurking places for wild beasts and for thieves and robbers. But they would go forth and make sure the path was safe. Um, and then, he, you know, there's so many references to, to Scripture in here. Uh, with what he's saying. And the sheep says Jesus here and recognize, and they know the voice of their shepherd that comes out of John 10, uh, that each shepherd had a particular uh, call or cry uh, to gather his sheep. And so there's so many things we can gather from them, um, from, from what he's saying here, that love that God gives you for your people, that love that he gives you for those around you only comes from God. We can't muster it up. Mm -hmm. We can't do it justice. It, it's a calling that God lays on your life and in your heart. And that is to love people unconditionally with that agape style uh, love, if you will. And so when I think about what we do as, as chaplains and and, uh, and even as people, uh, particularly what he said in the first part about how these shepherds would be out there amongst the stars and, you know, in perilous situations at times and in, in, comfortable and calm situations at times. I, it reminds me a lot of the chaplaincy and so important for you to be out there with your brave men and women of the, of the armed forces to, to be with them boots on ground and to spend time with them and walk with them um, as a part of being that shepherd. It's just, it's just so key. So there's many chap chapters in here that are, that are, that are just fantastic. Uh, he talks about the divine physician and he talks about the bridegroom, the bread of life, the light of the world. And he, he really breaks it down from a perspective of some of these witnesses and some of these disciples uh, views of Christ and how they saw him and, and ties into the scripture. So a fantastic book. Um, if anybody's out there that wants to read a, have a, have a good read and uh, it's not a difficult read. Um, but boy, is it a, a heartwarming book. That's uh it has plenty of scripture reference as well. So that's, that's the one I'm currently reading now. Those are some, some great pictures. And of course, you know, coming from our faith tradition, we, we love people because we live in the confidence and, and know that, know that we are loved. And, it, and it's so great too. I appreciate that you picked up a book that you read like 15, 16 years ago at seminary because there's another saying that's out there that if, if you want a new idea, read an old book. Yeah, and, right. And right. and we do gain a lot by by reading and rereading books to again toss out another cl cliche there that if you if read a book once for information, read a book twice for transformation. That then yeah, once you kind of internalize some of that stuff. That's but now, excellent. Now that picture of the the shepherd and as a, a chaplain as a shepherd um kind of the last thing I want to hit before I let you go in your your vocation now or your civilian ministry vocation, you're the co-founder and executive director of a nonprofit called Task Force Heroes. 
And I know you served as a pastor for a time too before Task Force Heroes became your your full-time civilian vocation. How did that project get started and and what are you doing now? So we got started, uh, we started kind of the talking phase and the development phase all the way back uh, probably a couple years after I got in the Army. So around 2000 and probably nine, right around my first uh, first tour, 2008, 2009, as a uh, kind of an outreach ministry. And so at the same time, I'd had a church call and uh, to be an associate pastor at a Lutheran church in, in Southern California. And we started the ministry at that point. We did not have any idea, uh, of course, that how the Lord was going to evolve this ministry and uh, kind of grow this ministry and, and that we would actually be doing first responders and veterans. And, and so it has been just a huge blessing. And so, so now we have, we have grown into this place in, in Montana. That's a, a lodge, uh, on an 80 acre ranch. And, um, we, we teach, uh, we, we don't want them just to have fun, right? We, we want them to, obviously we want them to have fun and enjoy their time, but we want to provide a serene, uh, comfortable environment. That's all peer to peer, small groups to provide that intimacy in a beautiful place where they can think about who they are, and what really is their purpose and think about life kind of from an eternal perspective. Um, and then also they'll enjoy fly fishing and of course, archery and some other things that we have for them. But we want to dig into a few things. In addition to the, the, the pillars of resiliency, we want to explore their core, who they are as people, uh, what makes them tick, if you will, what, uh, what context are they in currently in their lives? Uh, where are they in their communities and in their homes with their families, uh, their capabilities? What has God blessed them with? What are their, God-given gifts and talents. Um, and then, of course, their courage. Uh, and, of course, that's an easy one because they wouldn't usually be doing a frontline career type of job if they didn't have courage. And so we we dig into all that, and, and uh, at times it gets deep and emotional and heavy, and then and then we celebrate together and, and go out and, and catch fish. And, and uh, it's just been a fantastic, uh, fantastic journey. We bring in law enforcement from all across the country, firemen from all across the country, and then, of course, veterans from all across the country. So um, it's been a fantastic, uh, a real privilege, uh, very humbling to see uh, these folks show up there, knowing what they're getting into um, and seeing what God does with them in a short period of time, four to five days, um, just seeing the growth and, and them actually sitting down and, and catching their breath a little bit from their bu- the busyness of their schedules and the trauma that they're seeing to actually think about their life uh, away from work and away from the, the places that they work and some of the chaos that they may have been exposed to and take a time to, to, to breathe deeply and, and think about life. And, and uh, it's, it's uh, it has been very, very humbling, very, very exciting to, to see. And I'm, I'm honored to, to be a part of it and to see what God's done with it um, uh, growth wise and, and, you know, I look at it every time and I tell these guys, you know, you're not, you're not here by, by chance you know, I'm not a real coincidence, uh, guy. I think it was planned that you're here. And, uh, I tell them that, you know, God has chosen you to be here for such a time as this. And, um, you know, we have a great time together. It's, uh, it's been fantastic. I think that's a great picture too, or, uh, I think we can, we can see how you've, you found something complementary in your in your civilian life between your your vocation in ministry and in the military, uh, and what you do outs, outside the military, and and finding that that purpose 
and and mission something something that can can motivate you and and pull you through and and keep you tied to something that's important. Absolutely, sir. It's been uh, like I said, it's been a very humbling humbling journey, and we're setting up for another great uh, great season. We'll probably be full here in the next uh, within the next two weeks with with folks coming from all across the country and. Um, it's just been, uh, it's been fantastic. I know last year we had our first chaplain, you know, kind of care for the caregiver group. Uh, our first group of, uh, chaplain organic, if you will, uh, folks. And, and that was fantastic. So we've, uh, we've had everybody up there, LAPD, LA sheriffs, Huntington beach, uh, firemen from all over New York, Georgia. It's, it's been, uh, it's been a real blessing. So we're, we're honored to be able to do it. Well, blessings to you in the in the work you're doing there. Now, before we wrap up, uh, Major Chris Klein, our, our great producer and public affairs officer, Chris, you've been listening to this conversation, and uh, I know you've met you've met Shane before, and he is as as big as he says he is. Um, what any any questions come to mind? What? Uh, uh yeah. Yeah, I was uh, just looking through your bio, and uh, I was on the nine ten deployment as well. I was in Talil, not in Baghdad, but uh, went up there a few times. That uh, just thinking about that brought me back to at that time I was a company commander, and being a leader, especially infantry, uh, you know, there's p- problem children uh, in our units that. Um, Sometimes uh, because they're not fitting into that uh, square peg, you know, they're the round one and it doesn't go in so easy. I just wanted to see as a chaplain and having to deal with this a lot. uh, And either one of you can uh, weigh in your thoughts. How do you, I guess, fight the, uh, the process of like a empathy fatigue or like having, uh, you know, people come with you time after time with, problems, maybe similar, maybe, you know, of their own doing. And how do you keep that from uh, getting fatigued from it? Uh, it's kind of similar to, you know, reading so much in ILE. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go ahead first, Chaplain Scott? Oh, I, I was going to pitch it to you, Shane, but... Oh, but so sure. That, yeah. Well, maybe just briefly. So for me, it it can kind of start to wear you out, but... For so much of my career as a as a chaplain, I felt that man, I've got the best job in the army because I don't I don't feel like I've even come close to giving to other people what I the love and the support and the encouragement and everything that I've received. So for all of those conversations that maybe are a little bit emotionally draining or challenges or difficulties or problems that you're trying to help somebody work through, that they're really kind of weigh you down spiritually it's the connectedness to the military to the people around me and and even you know even the people maybe the 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 soldier or the person right in front of me that I'm that I'm trying to help that that gives me so much too now i think one of our guests a couple of months ago dr tom plant talked about this that kind of one of the best ways to cope is um is to look outside yourself and and to find ways to help others and and that's that's really such a powerful way to cope with any emotional or mental or spiritual challenges that that we might might be facing so i just, boy i just feel like i've received so much 
encouragement, support, and love from the people to my left and to my right, and more than I could have ever paid forward. Yeah, I would, I would agree a hundred percent. I think, uh, I think that that's a huge part of it. I also think, you know, what I remind myself of is when I have, uh, you know, a young soldier or whatever that comes in and, and maybe they're up consistently visiting you and you have to be reminded, I think, and I think God plays a key in this too, that, you know, you, you were called there for such a time as this and that the Lord loves them just as much as he loves you. Yes. And for that moment, that young person, whatever issue it is, even if it's a continued uh, same issue and you're starting to feel that compassion fatigue a little bit, but in their life, that, that issue is a huge deal to them. And, um, that love that God gave you for that soldier, uh, I think overcomes and, and kind of rejuvenates you and, and gets you back in the game to remember that these young people, they are making the sacrifice. They are here. They're mm-hmm. not at home. They're not, they're not sitting at Starbucks drinking a, a latte and, and relaxing or sitting putting playing video games. They're making a sacrifice to be in this, particularly you you're talking about downrange. They're here downrange. They're making the sacrifice. Their family loves them. Their family misses them. They're risking their life here too. I've got to give them, I've got to give them everything I got, even Mm -hmm. when I felt like I didn't have anything left. And, um, I think that's, I think that's key too, is, is to to ground yourself and remind yourself, um, kind of go back to, Hey, they're here to make a sacrifice. This is a huge deal to them. Um, they're wearing the same uniform and guess what? God loves them just as much as he loves you. And they're here for a reason and Mm -hmm. you're here for a reason. And so that, that always kind of, kind of brought me back, um, to where I needed to be, uh, particularly with, with maybe those like you were describing that are, um, consistent visitors or, or, uh, you know, having, having consistent issues. One of the last things you said there really resonated with me. And I, and I was an officer in the army before I became a chaplain, but it took me a while to learn that, that God loves the person in front of me just as much as he loves me. And so to, to see the people that I serve with, through that lens that everyone has value just for for because they're alive because they're because they're another human being that that they are worth our time and our effort um even you know even if sometimes it's hard but yeah that to 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 look at others through that lens thank you gentlemen for your insight appreciate that that's still hard you know, God bless all the company commanders. That's a that's a rough that's a rough job. <laughs> yep, it's a that's a tough job, and, and of course we we love you guys and support you guys and, and pray for you as well. And um, you know, for us again, just to kind of recap that, it's you know when when you know God sends you over and He says, "All right, Chaplain Yates, you've got this squadron," and guess what? You've got everything associated with this squadron: all the good things, all the not so good things, and all the folks in that are that are here this is my flock and I'm entrusting you to, to, to bring, mm-hmm. you know, bring me to them, if you will. And, uh, and so unfortunately we can't pick and choose who those folks are and, and, uh, nor would we want to, we, we, we love them all, love them all the same and give them everything we've got because we're, we're working for the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, not for ourselves. And, um, and I think that's a good reminder as well, even, even when it gets hard. Yeah, maybe to maybe just to put a bow on that, you know, so often when we think of purpose or we think of what kind of what our mission in life is, we like to look 
toward the horizon. We look way ahead. You know, what's some, something that's out there or something that's yet to come? But we can find so much purpose and meaning and value and, and mission right where we're at, right, right where we are now. Yeah, all, right. we, all we got to do is open our uh, eyes. There's there's so many there's so many ways we can serve. Well, Shane, we need to wrap it up, but thank you so much for for coming on today. And for our listeners, we hope that you'll start to hear Shane's voice a little more regularly on Hope in the Trenches as a co-host and and as a host. Um, but again, thank you, Shane. God bless you and your family in your work. And I'll look forward to crossing paths with you again soon. Sounds good. I appreciate both of you and uh, blessings to you and uh, have a great rest of the day. Appreciate the time. This podcast is produced by the Oregon National Guard Public Affairs Office. My prayer for you is that wherever you find yourself, that you might find hope for today and strength for the ambiguity and chaos of life. Blessings on the rest of your day.